Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Bluetooth Bacteria Podcast. I'm your host, and I'm here with my iGEM team members, Leah, Angel, and Dara. If you're new to this podcast, we are part of the Pittsburgh iGEM team, and our goal is to talk about current advances in synthetic biology and its different applications. Today, we're excited to have King's College team to talk a little bit about what they're working on and some of the challenges they have. Thank you guys so much for being here today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. It's really exciting. So before we get started, do you guys mind telling us a little bit about yourselves? Like, what are your roles, positions? How many people do you have on your team? Um, I can start us off. Um, so my name is Abby. Um, I'm the team leader alongside, we have, we have two co-team leaders. Um, she's not here today though. Um, so we have a pretty big team. Uh, we have a team of 19 um, from all across. I'm going into my third year of molecular genetics, and uh, this is my second year doing iGEM. So last year I was the deputy manager, and now I'm the, the team leader. Yeah, and then I'll pass it on. Um, so we've got like three sub, like three large subgroups within our team, um, which is divided into the um, 3D printing and scaffold team, um, the uh, muscle foot protein team, and then the SCI, uh, like spinal cord injury team, who are looking into the pathophysiology of the spinal cord, etc. Because our main um, uh, problem that we're trying to solve and trying to target is spinal My name is Sonia, and I'm from the spinal cord injury team. Can you hear me, by the way? Can you yeah, hear me okay? Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm, as well as Abby, I'm going to my third year of biomedical science, and I specialise in immunology and infection. Nice. Um, so my name is Morgan. Um, this is my first year in iGEM and I'm going into my second year of my biomedical science degree. And I'm on the MFP slash 3D. So how big is your team altogether? There's 19 of us, which is quite large. So I think, so on this call at the moment, we've got um, like, we've got bio um, engineers, we've got biochemists, we've got molecular geneticists, and we've got um, biomedical students as well. So we have like a whole array of niches that we've pulled together, and hence why we've got the three sub teams, because it's kind of pulling on everyone's strengths. So for example, I'm, I'm, I'm Emily, by the way, I never introduced myself, um, but um, most of the people who are in the muscle foot protein team are biochemists. Um, because that's more like chemistry-based stuff. And then in the SCI team, we've got a lot of um, biomed students, but also genetic students, and then obviously 3D printing and scaffolding. We've sort of like shoved that on the bioengineers so that they can <laughs> work their maths and <laughs> do some magic in that regard. That's so nice that you guys have such a big team. You guys have different specialties. We have a very small team. We have five people. Wow. One of us is a chemical engineer, Lee is a chemical engineer, two of us are um, molecular bio, biology majors, uh, biochemistry, I guess. Um, and then the other two are just biology in general. So yeah, we're, we're, uh, yeah, we're small, but that's also, we also have a good time, you know? Yeah, you also sound like you've got a really good array of knowledge between you, even though you've only got five people, like from chemical engineering to just like, well, like not, I don't know what you call it, not general biology, because I'm sure it's very specific, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> different areas of biology. Yeah, yeah. 
we try. It, it's, I guess one thing about having like a small team is that we're all involved in almost like every aspect of it, which is sometimes a bit overwhelming, but it's also really nice to have a large team. You guys can light up the work into your specialty. Remy and um, Shantz, am I pronouncing your name right? Did you guys want to introduce yourselves or? Remy, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, my name is Shems and I'm going to third year my neuroscience and um, this is my first year doing iGEM. Hi, I'm Remy and um, I'm in the part of the 3D bioprinting team and I'm going into my third year. So I guess you guys mentioned a little bit about your project. So you guys are working with spinal cord injury and you're using scaffold. Uh, well, we're using muscle foot proteins, but we're planning on putting them on a scaffold. So like the very bare bones of our project here, um, we've got the 3D printing and scaffolding team because we want to create a scaffold that will fit into the um, injury site of a spinal cord injury. Um, and then we've got the um, MFP team who are the muscle foot protein team and we're uh, creating the polymer hydrogel from um, this protein called PBSP5 beta, which is a mouthful, but um, and we're going to work on that and the adhesion of that and polymerization of it so that we can then coat the scaffold. And the spinal cord injury team have done so much research into the pathophysiology of the spine, so that and they're relaying that information both to the 3D printing and to the MFP team because obviously we need to be catering our project so that it can uh, one be obviously like uh, beneficial to the place that we're putting it um, and also viability of it and what the microenvironment is like so they've collated an enormous amount of information that's made the project possible and the, the project design possible. That's really really cool can you what was your inspiration to? Um, so it just kind of started off where I was like looking through like some materials journals and I came across this like bioadhesive and using like aquatic proteins for it and then I came across this muscle foot protein that was um, that was like first kind of um, elucidated at King's and I thought oh that's like perfect because it's at our university it's related to synthetic biology so I wanted to look into like different applications of this protein and then it just kind of evolved into um, like how can we use it to help treat spinal cord injury because this is something that doesn't have a like cure or like a really solid therapy and it really affects the people um, who do have this condition. So that's kind of just how it evolved. We realized that there's this big problem and that it could potentially be solved with this protein and yeah, the, then it went, then it just kind of went on to us actually developing a scaffold. Um, yeah, that was pretty much the inspiration. It was pretty accidental, just like looking through papers and then realizing, oh, that this could potentially be used as a bioadhesive. And then, yeah, the rest is history, pretty much. You mentioned that there's really no good treatment for spinal cord injury. What are they doing now to... Um, so yeah, there is no single cure and because every single spine cord, spinal cord injury is essentially unique and no two patients are the same. So every single approach is very much patient based. So whatever that patient needs in that moment and most of it is not, um, it's not focused on recovery but it's more focused on sort of like palliative care and rehabilitation, living with the injury. So it's all about pain management and establishing a routine rather than like a specific single treatment. And um, a, lot of the, a lot of the treatments that we were looking at are currently in clinical trials. So stuff that is kind of similar to us, like scaffolding or 
hydrogels or anything like that. It's, it's not even sort of like an established treatment. It's just going through clinical trials. Um, and I, I don't think anyone in our team has come across anything that is quite like our treatment because a lot of treatments are sort of based on, um, how do I say it, like a, like a one therapy approach, for example, like injecting stem cells or just um, inserting a biomaterial. But because we're incorporating both a bioadhesive and a scaffolding and potentially, you know, we can move forward from that by um, injecting stem cells into our treatment in future if, you know, other research team would want to go down that pathway. Our approach is one of the most holistic ones um, that I've seen sort of in. That's really awesome. So do you guys have lab access? Are you able to test out your design? No, <laughs> we don't have any lab access. So we're going to be doing like a phase, phase one, phase two sort of project. So this year we're just going to be modeling our protein. So we don't have a full structural model for the protein yet. So we're doing that this year and we're also going to be designing and then hopefully 3D printing the scaffolding um, it, like as soon as we can get back on campus. Um, so yeah, we're not gonna be able to go into the lab at all. Next year is when we'll be creating the polymer and when we'll be validating our scaffold design. Okay. Yeah, I think a lot of teams this year are doing the two-phase yeah. approach, which it, it's really cool because I guess I generally have very limited time to do a project just one summer and maybe a little bit of the fall. Um, but it's, it's nice that we, people are deciding to do two years because they can really develop a project and just do something with it. Yeah, yeah I've definitely been hearing a lot of more layered projects coming out of this whole two-phase approach. A lot of people are looking holistically at their, at their individual projects. So that's really cool that you guys are also doing that. Yeah, it's yeah kind I, of think, I think we've heard a lot of people do like the or plan to do like the research like January to sort of up until summer and then people get into lab and start going straight away. Obviously we don't have that opportunity this year. So we've just been doing so much reading, so much more reading than obviously we would have had coronavirus not happen. I would say our knowledge around the subject is a lot greater than it would have been if we had been obviously spending all of summer in the lab. Um, and we're hoping that because we're doing so much research now that when we do get into it, it goes seamlessly, obviously it won't, but you know. <laughs> Something always goes wrong. So I guess just kind of looking at the big picture, because you're doing more of a therapeutic project, have you guys considered some of the ethical or bioethical limitations? So I guess the main thing that like we're looking at in terms of ethics is um, it's kind of this idea of false hope. It's something that we need to be really careful about when we're presenting our project because this is obviously not something that will be a viable therapy for like a really long time. It has to go through so many, so many like FDA regulations, so many different clinical trials. And it's something that we need to be really careful of when we're discussing our project with, um, with like a variety of audiences that this isn't something that's viable at the moment and that will take a really long time to actually evolve into something that can be properly used. So we need to be really careful that we don't create this sense of false. A lot of researchers need to be careful about, especially in cellular therapies and stem cell therapies, because if it hasn't been validated yet and the safety of it hasn't been shown, then it, it can't be seen as something that's like a, a proper therapy. So that's, I think, kind of the main ethical concern that we're going to have to look into and be wary of as we move forward in like a therapy. 
Um, I think that's also it's what also incorporates into the spinal cord injury team because um, what a lot of their research as well as researching into the spinal cord injury uh, a lot of their research has also been into current therapies and speaking with surgeons about how they think this therapy might be um, received by patients and how it how it could be rightly used um, and if it's something that they as, that as a doctor themselves would consider using um, because uh, one of the really important things is that we don't want to create something that already exists out there or um, potentially um, replicate a treatment and actually make it worse than it already was. So one of the really important aspects of the SCI team and what information they've been collating is what treatments exist at the moment, how does ours compare to that and how can we make sure that tools like ours is actually going to be beneficial to patients and that it's not just a project because at the end of the day there are people out there right now who are suffering with spinal cord injuries um, who aren't getting any better and it's really important how we handle this information and our research. Yeah that's a really good question. I, I was kind of thinking of it thinking of it along the lines like you know you have this treatment or I guess like a lot of a lot of the problems with like a lot of treatments um, like people have been using for to treat cancer but it's just so expensive that it's really not actually viable. I guess it's different in the US because we have a different sort of healthcare system, but, uh, <laughs> um, and it's more expensive, but I guess I, I, I don't know how theoretically what the expense would be. Obviously you guys have, haven't been able to. Our team, unfortunately King's College, like don't give us any money for iGEM. So what we've actually done has completely been off the back of our own fundraising. Um, so it's not like we were given like, heaps of money and funding just to like play with and that obviously would then translate into completely inefficient and overly costly product for the for the public. Um, so we've done this completely off our own backs and um, obviously we'll be using the lab at King's but that's about as much as we get. Um, so we'd hope that that would obviously evidence in some way that this is a product that's pretty viable and we're going to be using E. coli to produce um, our recombinant protein um, and so we hope that by using such, a, obviously it's a really common um, uh, expression vector, but things like that, that we hope can sort of evidence that it's not going to be expensive. I mean, I think, I don't know about the, because obviously I'm not on the um, 3D printing team, but I think if Remy has anything to add about uh, the cost of like the scaffolding material and the process of obviously printing the scaffold, because I think that would probably be the, the more cost. Yeah, so with regards to 3D bioprinting, it is more expensive than typical 3D printing partly due to the expensive equipment and the bio-ink. So this affects both us, the researchers and the patients, whereas we were lucky enough to find a department within our university who have bioprinters and are allowing us to use it free of charge. And with regards to the patient, I think this is something we have to think through more in detail. One of our goals is to make it as accessible and feasible to all patients and at the moment the like 3d bio printers if you're in an area with perhaps less a hospital with less money these printers can go up to a fifty thousand dollars so this is um this is just my me not knowing too much about bioprinting but how does how does bioprinting work like what material do they use so with our scaffold um Oh, sorry, with a bioprinter, you can use bio inks, which are essentially materials, biological materials that can be printed like a, like in a normal 3D printer. And examples of these are 
And what this allows is to print print biocompatible materials, whereas you can't do that with normal. Okay, yeah, I, it makes sense. It's collagen. I was like thinking, like, what? What, are, what exactly? What are they? What are they using? <laughs> so basically, just biopolymers instead of um, things like concrete or plastic that would be used in typical three D pr printers. That's like kind of why we chose to go down the bioprinting route because we knew we wanted to use a biomaterial approach rather than like a plastic or a, a, like a non-biomaterial approach um, to ensure biocompatibility. And yeah, so that's basically why we chose that route. And also just the latest idea of um, expense using a muscle foot more of a more of like a cost-effective approach because it's just a protein-based material. Our original idea, um, just kind of also thinking about like expense, our original idea was to create a, um, a hydrogel that was based on this protein, um, which probably would have been the most cost-effective route because it's much more simplistic and you don't have to use um, like this advanced equipment to actually print the scaffolding. That's something that could still potentially be like looked at in the future and something we might look into next year. The main reason why we switched our project design was because we couldn't get into the lab and we knew we wouldn't be able to create a, a protein-based material if we can't get into the lab. So that's also a viable option and something that we might explore in the phase two of our project and would probably be the most cost-effective. We kind of had to that cost-effectiveness because we knew we wouldn't be so I guess you talked a little bit about changing your project from the hydrogel to the bioprinting. So what are other some of the challenges your team has faced in developing a project or it even could be related to the pandemic, how your, that dynamic has changed? Um, well, I guess as Emily mentioned earlier, we've had a lot of financial struggles this year. Um, and yeah, I guess that does translate into being able to make a cost-effective project because we we are we don't get any funding from KCL. It's only our third year of doing only King's third year of doing iGEM, so it's really new, and they're not they're like very hesitant to actually fund us. So that's something that we've had to really been able, we've been able to pull through. I think like regardless of all the financial concerns, um, thanks to a, a nice grant from Promega which we're super grateful for and just like lots of GoFundMe. Um, but that's definitely something that we've had to like face this year. I think also it's been difficult because our team is like all around the world and um, we've had to like accommodate for time zones. Like I've been waking up so early <laughs> to make sure like I can like make the meetings, but it's okay. Um, and I know Morgan has too. So <laughs> I'm like making Morgan into a morning person. Um, but yeah, that's been difficult. I, I think that it's also been a bit harder because we can't have like any socials in person or like hanging out in person, which is so important to like the team dynamic. Um, I mean, we are grateful that we're able to have a bunch of team, not a bunch, but quite a, a number of team meetings before like everybody went home. So that was nice. But yeah, I think that's been definitely a challenge is like being able to still have that like same like kind of iGEM team experience, despite the fact that we're like everywhere and it's all on Zoom. So I don't know if anyone has any other things that they um, I think working, like not seeing each other, as Abby said, is just a bit, like makes all the research a bit difficult because when it's like 20 people doing research all at once and like trying to consolidate all the articles and like put everything together, it's just so, it can feel really like hectic and you, I just constantly feel like I'm like out of the loop, like I'm missing, like missing out on something, but I think you get used to it like quite quickly, so it's all good. It's all good now. 
Yeah, okay, just uh, like the, sorry, Remy. I'm sorry. so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Remy's been so chivalrous and like, no, after you, after you, and then I just interrupted him. After you, Remy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Emily. Um, no, just to reiterate Avi and Sonia's point, the lack of intimacy. Uh, okay, that's a bit weird to phrase it, but um, <laughs> like we would have been living all under the same roof in like um one of the student accommodations, and we would have been working in the labs together. And, well, that was part of the reason I was looking forward to it. It would have been fun to get to know other people far, like apart from engineering students <laughs> because um, I've never really talked to other people from other faculties at uni apart from those in the natural and mathematical sciences so yeah, that was yeah no. I was also looking forward to that in a different way to Remy obviously but um, I was looking forward to getting to know new people from different faculties um, it was really really fun the first months we had together I loved it so much it was it was such a exciting time and obviously it sucks having to like research on your own in like your bedroom or study or wherever and um, like Sonia said it's just the eternal perpetual cycle of feeling out of the loop because you, you do all this research and then you go onto the slack and like people have just happened that you know a couple of people were available and they read a couple of things and now they've gone in a completely other direction you're like oh my gosh like where do I even begin um but yeah, so that's the, the more challenging aspect. But I think Abby's been really, really helpful and super organized. She's got like the most advanced Google Drive, like divisions and folders and everything. Like <laughs> everything's so easy to find and collate because of her, she's really organized. So that's a really good plus. Yeah, I've sold my... So I think that's also been a difficulty is like finding a way to have everything like centralized and like easy to access, but... Yeah, no, it's definitely difficult because I feel like we also have, like, we have Slack, we have Google Drive, we have all these things, and it's, like, it's been hard to make sure that, like, everything is together. Like, if we were all there and, and like, together, like, you know, living, because you were all supposed to live in, like, the same accommodation, like, as Remy mentioned, so it would have been so much easier if, like, we would be able to just, like, talk to each other and, like, let each other know, like, where we're at. So I think, yeah, that's been difficult, but it's, like, adapting, I guess, to, like, working remotely, but... Yeah. We definitely had a similar, because we, we recently just got lab access. We got it, I believe, like two weeks ago. And yeah, before that, we had everything on, on we, I guess then our advisors were like, no, try Microsoft Teams. And we're like, okay. We tried Microsoft Teams. So now we're using Microsoft Teams. But yeah, it was mostly just a lot of, well, we have a smaller team, but yeah, we had a similar thing. Like, we don't really know what we're doing. It was harder. To, it was. I don't know if you guys had a similar problem, but we had a really hard, hard time trying to brainstorm like our actual projects. Because before, like our previous team, one of our team members used to be in uh, the iGen Pittsburgh iGen team last year, and he said that his team would just kind of just stay in the library for like hours until they came up with an idea. So we tried to like stay on a Zoom call for hours to try to come up with an idea. And it didn't work out the same way. <laughs> like, I guess we're kind of fortunate that we had our idea before we all, like, because we, so we started the team in, like, January, oh. and then we did, like, pretty intense, like, we had to get the project done, like, sorted by end of February. Well, also because we have a really strict supervisor, why we were, like, pushed to have it done um, soon. So, at, like, at least we were fortunate to have, like, that kind of sorted before we went um we all went away and we were able to do all the brainstorming in person but yeah we spent like a lot of time like on the whiteboard and stuff like that so not not totally just like stay and like forcing everyone to stay in people hadn't done iGen before they came on the team as well so everyone was very keen to 
like contribute and so we we'd go away and research and then we'd have these meetings with the whiteboard and we'd write up all these days and kind of have like a collective brainstorming thing which was which was led by our leaders abby and staff who obviously facilitated it all and made everyone they were like this is a safe space you know no idea is a bad idea <laughs> because obviously it's your worst nightmare to say some something and from it be like uh <laughs> yeah i think definitely brainstorming is one of the hardest part we went through like many we had like at one point we had like three projects and we're like we had like a similar thing in the beginning where we had like three different things that we were thinking of going like three different paths we were thinking of going down and then ended up just being muscle foot protein so. but it's a really cool idea so i think you guys you guys did well there <laughs> i mean you guys already talked a little bit about it but what are your kind of future directions at this point um, so next year we'll be doing, well, we should be hopefully getting to the last of January or something, but next year we're going to be actually making our protein polymer and then testing the adhesiveness of this polymer and then also looking at the, like, biocompatibility of our scaffolding to ensure that we can actually have cell growth along it. We're not really sure how we're going to do that yet. We'll probably have to outsource it to somebody, um, but that's what we'll be looking into it's like that's our future thing so that's what's happening next year but in terms of like future in the next few months we're going to be finalizing our um, protein model and then finalizing like our kind of protocols for our polymerization as well as modeling our scaffold designs to ensure that we've like picked the best one kind of and then then moving forward with that one and then ultimately um bioprinting it um in like october ish whenever we get the chance to get into the lab so yeah that's the thing is that you know, um, well, we've got we're we're sort of like working with this lab in Italy, um, with two scientists who are obviously like really smart and really intimidating. <laughs> um, but we've been having meetings with them because they're actually currently working on the same protein as us. So I think another obviously more longer term goal um, would be that we're doing some modelling for them, and uh, we were going to like relay our research back to them, and hopefully if that. Uh, there's their research i think it's mostly going to be the modeling side of things um modeling the disulfide bridges which can be really important in this relationship um but yeah hopefully if we achieve that then we might get some sort of like um recognition or get um credited in their paper that they're writing about this protein which would obviously be amazing um but yeah that, that's more like a long term um, that's our very pragmatic um but yeah that's like our long term like the one of the researchers is based in london and the other is based in italy so they still like they collaborate with each other like for this protein and that's like where i got the inspiration from because i noticed that they had been working on it at king's so that's kind of also why we're so is there any other questions that you want us to ask or something you guys want to talk about that we didn't I don't know. I guess maybe we can talk a little bit more about our human practices and kind of what we're looking at in that aspect of the project. Um, so we've been really trying to take a more holistic approach to spinal cord injury. So it's not just like a scientific treat, like scientific kind of treatment, but also looking at to like the mental health because mental health is a huge concern for spinal cord injury patients. Um, so how can we help in that regard? And we recently met with like a um, the Spinal Cord Injury Association in the United Kingdom. And we were able to talk with people who have spinal cord injury and like able to see how are different ways that we can help that aren't scientific. So like looking at the way in which people with disabilities and um, with spinal cord injury are represented in the media, how can we use that to help like, you know, make it make our like 
global environment and society like kind of a bit more accessible. Um, and I don't know if anyone else wants to elaborate on kind of what we're doing there, but also looking at like prevention of spinal cord injuries. So like with sports and with biking, and these are like the main areas and main like causes of spinal cord injury. So how can we actually prevent it at its like at its core rather than like providing a treatment? So that's kind of something that we're looking in. Um, yeah, I can elaborate a bit about sport. Um, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of spinal cord injuries are caused by like falls and spe specifically like elderly people that we can't really do much about. But stuff like sport and maybe like violence, it, uh, to some degree, we can at least like spread awareness, especially in sports like rugby. You know, for you guys, it would be like American football, something clearly very traumatic and something that's not really spoken about so we kind of try and do our best to make infographics and we have a brilliant design team who are like so quick and just like making all the all the little infographics all the little like cool designs for the for our instagram page and for like facebook pages and stuff that we can just like send to people and um just to like raise some questions and yeah just raise some awareness yeah, and like going on that, we're really looking at the importance of language and the way in which we like approach um, disability. And so that's something that we're also looking to help. And that goes in time, like along with our education and science communication, that making sure we're using appropriate language to help explain these problems and just to make yeah the environment a lot more inclusive. Also, because we're looking into the inclusivity research too as an aspect of our project. So that's something that we're doing as well. Um, and so that's going to like evolve a little bit more as the like as we approach the jamboree um yeah so i don't know if anyone else has anything they want to add yeah i'll just add one thing that i took away from yesterday that i thought was really yesterday when we met with the spinal cord injury association i really liked one of the um people who has spinal cord injury said i I'm not disabled because of my injury, but because society disables me, um, because of the lack of access to buildings and the use of language and how they're portrayed in the media and all of these things. So I think that that has that well summarizes what we've been trying to do in regards to human practices. Yeah, like just to add to that, they had um, basically said that like it's not the impairment, but it's like like for example, being able to like go. Up over like a stair, like go on top of a stair. It's not, it's not like their impairment that's the problem, but it's like the stair, if you just remove that barrier, then it's like, there's no problem. So it's, it's kind of us, we, like one thing that we want to do is really looking into these barriers and then how can we remove them to make sure that it's not like society isn't the one that's, you know, society isn't the thing that's disabling um, these people. So yeah, that's just adding, adding to what Morgan said, just kind of like, that's our main aim with human practices is being able to ensure that we have a good impact on the world in that way as well. That's, that's yeah, I think in general as well, like I just want to add quickly that it was such a privilege for me, especially to listen to those voices and to have those voices included in our project, because I think even compared to some other iGEM projects, like our project is so unique and the way that it's so patient-based and so heavily it has to involve all these voices like we have to listen to the carers to the medical providers to the surgeons to the patients like we have to include all those voices and if we're not doing that then I think it's just not going to work essentially so I think it's really crucial for us to have those voices included at every single stage of our project so far it's so important to communicate with the people you're actually talking 
you're targeting to get their side of it because that's ultimately who is it who's it's going to be for like this is why you're designing it for them you hear their voices that's so interesting that they that you guys are taking this holistic approach i feel like more teams should should do that to get those voices that's that's really inspirational and I feel like it's especially important that we do that because like the chances of our actual like therapy and, or like becoming a viable thing or like the time frame is just so long. It's important that we look at all the different ways in which we can help and so that so that we can actually make a difference so that it's not just like this like long term in the future scientific thing, but something that we can do right now. So that's why I think it's also very important that we focus on that too. Has any of the patients that you've talked to, has that really, how has that changed your design? Or are you just mostly focusing on more of like providing that mental health support? I think like how it's kind of, it hasn't necessarily changed our scientific design, but more so kind of like how we want to use our like social media platform, how we want to use um, like this, these sort of things. So the type of things that we want to create, the people that we want to engage with to help them make change. So helping us to further understand and communicate the importance of language and like kind of looking at the, not the exactly the scientific things, but more of the like, so like social aspect of our project. I think it's helped us push us further down that route. And especially for this SEI team and for human practices, because it's made it clear that that's just as important as the science. So that's, yeah, that's kind of how it's changed our whole like project design. And I think when we were looking at it in the very initial stages of our project, when we were looking into spinal cord injury, um, we it sort of branched into like the socioeconomic um, factors that play a role and the mental health illness that plays a role um, in being injured, um, having your spine injured. Um, because for example, you know, if you have a family and the, one of the parents who is potentially a breadwinner suffers from this injury, the brunt that they bear, I mean, it's, it's enormous, the, the socioeconomic impact that it has on them, not only mentally, but also financially. Um, and we wanted to sort of stress the fact that although, yes, we're making something that aims to fix the medical side of this, it doesn't fix the, um, you know, all the other things that come with that. People will still need counselling, they'll still need financial support during their treatment. Um, and it's very much, uh, we wanted to, obviously we're working medically on one part of the problem, but the, the whole problem is so much bigger than people, I think, initially perceive it. Um, and yeah, also what, another great thing is that obviously if our thing, if our project was viable, the fact that it wouldn't just have an impact on their uh, physical health, but it would have an impact on their mental health and also the well-being of their family. They'd be able to, you know, hopefully go back to work more easily. So it's it's a really multifaceted issue, and it was really interesting to look into that. And I think we'll feel a lot more informed and educated around it, having done that research with our human practices. Well. I think that's all the time we have for today. Again, thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, we really love learning more about your project and we wish you the best of luck. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much.